Good morning. Welcome. Hope everybody's doing all right today. Let me get this thing going. If you're new here, uh, we're glad you're with us for the first time, or if you're joining online, we welcome you today. Uh, we're glad that you're with us. Um, I got to tell you, man, God is awesome how he works. I mean, Tim asked me to prepare for, you know, we're continuing our series through counterculture through Daniel, and Daniel chapter 3 is where we're going to be at this morning. If you have a Bible, you can get, go ahead and get that out. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 3, and, you know, as I was studying this week, I'm like, man, th- that song has been on my heart all week. I'm like, man, that would be, wouldn't that be awesome if the worship, t- I, need to, I need to call Mandy or let Mandy know that, hey, we, we need to do that song, and never did that. I never did that. I never called anybody. Never said anything. God just, God just arranged that. And I'm like, man, thank you so much, Lord. That is so awesome. He is in even the most minute details of our lives. And it's just so awesome how he does that. Over and over again, he's in the most minute details in our lives. And so we're going to be in Daniel chapter 3 this morning. Tim took us through chapter 2 last week. Daniel interpreted, you know, he interpreted um, Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Nebuchadnezzar was in awe of uh, Daniel's interpretation and how it all worked out. I mean, he uh, was, wow, this is, he said in verse, if you look at chapter 2 of verse, uh, verse 47 of chapter 2, he says, the king answered Daniel and said, truly your God is the God of all gods, the Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets since you could Reveal this secret. Nebuchadnezzar was in all of that, and uh, Tim walked us through that last week and a lot of the meaning behind what what was there. And so this morning we find ourselves in chapter three, continuing on our on through our counter culture series. You know, and I love I love where we're at here with uh, chapter three um, and looking at this fiery child. You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego—they're going to be in this fiery trial. Chapter 2, between chapter 2 and chapter 3, it happens roughly about 20 years afterwards, you know, so this is a little bit of a time frame, you know, I mean, uh, when you think about how long 20 years is, it's it's like, uh, it it happens in a flash if you're a parent, you know, you're like, man, when did my kid become 20 years old, what just happened, you know? Um, Nonetheless, I mean, it's still still a good amount of time there between Daniel chapter 2 in chapter 3. So you kind of, we're going to kind of see here how Nebuchadnezzar kind of forgets a little bit about kind of what was going on. I mean, just a few minutes ago, I said, you know, in in verse 47 there, he's saying, man, truly your God is it, man. He's the one. But still, he did not recognize the God of Daniel as his God. It wasn't, it wasn't personal. It wasn't part of his personal life. And we're going to see how Daniel's companions here this morning, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they take a stand against the king's requirement to bow and worship the image that he sets up. So we're going to talk about that this morning, taking a stand in the midst of a fiery trial. And man, we need to fix that strobe light because I'm going to be up here on the floor here in just a minute, okay? All right, so we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the requirement, what the king required. Then we're going to look at the refusal and then the rescue, how the Lord brings them through all this. So the requirement. Stand with me. We're going to read the first few verses of Daniel chapter 3. And then we'll pray one more time. Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. 
Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits, its width 6 cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. In verse 4, then a herald cried out, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. So at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, and lyre and symphony with all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word this morning. Father, I pray that you prepare our hearts to receive from your word, Lord, to hear from you. Lord, I pray that you speak to each and every person here today, Lord, each and every person that will hear this message later on, Lord, because it's your word that changes us, Father God, not, not my words, but your word, Father God, that changes our lives. And I pray now by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would equip us, Lord, you would prepare us, Lord, have fertile ground, ready to receive the words that you have here today, Lord, for each and every person. Thank you in advance for what you're going to do. We give you all praise and glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So Nebuchadnezzar sets up this gold image Height, 60 cubits, width, 6 cubits, this massive thing. It's a, it's, a, it's a large statue that, you know, he erected here. You know, again, about 20 years later after what happened at the end of chapter 2. And um, there's a discernible link here between the dream that Daniel revealed to Nebuchadnezzar and this image that he now made that we looked at here in chapter 3. It seems like Nebuchadnezzar is like, Kind of deliberately made this statue of gold. Most people believe it was really of, probably of him, of a statue of a man um, that needs to be worshipped. Kind of very much in contradiction to God's declared plan that he revealed to him in the dream. Because if you recall in the dream in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar was what? He was just, he was just a gold head, right? He was just a golden head part of the image in the dream. And then there was the breastplate and legs and iron and all, a lot of different things going on there, right, with the image that uh, Daniel shared to him. Well, this is in direct contradiction to that because Nebuchadnezzar is kind of saying, well, you know what? I'm going to make an entire statue of gold, head to toe, including everything of me, and you're going to worship it. As if to say, you know what? That's really okay, Daniel, what you're dream and interpretation was, but here it's like 20 years later, you know, I think my kingdom's going to go on forever. And so we see this image of gold that he makes, you know, roughly 90 feet high, you know, it says uh, nine feet, roughly nine feet wide based on, you know, three cubits, three meters, really it's probably a thickness from, you know, from chest to back, because when you put those dimensions in proportion, it's almost identical 
proportions of what a statue of a man would be, 90 feet high and roughly 9 feet thick. Being so large, it's safe to say that it probably wasn't made of pure gold. I mean, they never found any massive block of pure gold. Usually in this time, they would make a structure of wood and then overlay it with gold. Nonetheless, I mean, it's a lot of gold. <laughs> That's a lot of gold. It's a very, very big statue. And we see a lot of these people that Nebuchadnezzar kind of invites, you know, to this dedication. Well, basically, they were told to show up or else. You know, it's not really kind of a, an invitation, but, you know, it's like, you know, show up. But if you don't, you know, you better be coming or we're going to be in trouble. Notice in verse 2, it says, All the officials of the provinces come out to the dedication of the image. Again, it's a requirement. You know, he sends out an invitation, but it's basically, you know, Nebuchadnezzar's kind of throwing a test out there. Who's coming? Who's for me? Who's against me? What's going on? My kingdom is going to last forever. So if that's the case, I'm going to try to weed out who's going to chop off my gold head. You know, he's wanting to figure out what's going on. Maybe you've been to a dedication before. You know, maybe you've seen a dedication on TV. You know, a lot of pomp and circumstance. Some, some prominent person gets up there, says a speech, you know, goes over a whole bunch of, says a lot of stuff that nobody ever remembers, you know. If it's a ship, you know, they, they take and smash a, a champagne bottle across the bow as, they, as the ship is launched. Let some balloons go, you know, eat some finger foods and cake. And everybody goes home, right? You know, it's, it's, it's a dedication. No, very similar. You know, he's saying, hey, we're dedicating this statue. And that... To a lot of people, that's what they thought this was. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, he's doing something else. You know, let's go check it out. Let's go see what he's got going on. But in the back of his mind, he's really trying to find out who is going to stand and bow when I tell them to. Who is for my kingdom, my kingdom that will be never-ending? So this decree goes out. Look at verse 4. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded... Again, there, so much for the invitation. <laughs> okay. To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of all this music going on, you shall fall down and worship the gold image. So this herald cries out, okay? This herald, a herald is you know, basically, is, you know, maybe you guys know some people that just have a loud mouth. I don't know. That's, if you have a very loud mouth back in this day, you'd probably be a herald, okay? It's just somebody that can talk very loud and get their point across. The guy's name was not Harold. It's just what they called him, okay? So, this decree goes out to all people, nations, and languages. However, we notice as we go through this, you, Daniel's not really mentioned in chapter 3. Daniel's not mentioned in chapter 3 any, at all. I mean, a lot of scholars believe that he may have been in some distant part of the region. You know, he maybe was out on some dignitary mission or something along those lines. And this general summons had not reached him yet, Okay. They didn't have cell phones back then, okay? There was no texting, you know? <laughs> Could you imagine what that must have been like if they had cell phones? Everybody come, bow, and bur bow or burn, worship the golden image now or else. Hashtag flame on 7X, okay? Hashtag human barbecue. What the? You know? That's basically what was being said. Come out and worship. If you don't, Human barbecue, okay? Verse 6, whoever does not fall down in worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Again, the requirement was bow or burn. 
There was, no, there was nothing else. It was, very, it was a very powerful command. It was a very powerful requirement backed up by a very powerful threat, right? Now, I'm sure none of you yet, at least, you know, in, in our country, our community down here in the south, we're in the Bible Belt, right? You know, I love what Pastor, and, Pastor uh, Sandy Adams says, you know, we're down here in the Bible Belt, you know, there's a, there's a whole lot of belt, but not a whole lot of Bible, you know, I mean, we're down, you know, we're in, you know, we're probably not going to be, you know, challenged with this kind of a, of a request, right? I need you to bow down to this image that is not God or burn. But know that there are Christians all over the world today being persecuted and killed for their faith. They are basically being told, renounce your Christianity or you, you, you'll die. Every day, Christians are being killed for what they believe. And they're not faltering. They're not turning. Nebuchadnezzar, again, like a lot of other politicians, and bringing out all these prominent people, they're very willing to use religion to strengthen their position when it's convenient for them, right? We're in an election year, and, you know, politicians are very happy to blend together their spiritual allegiance and their national allegiance. They're very happy to blend them together if it'll get them votes, you know. It's just interesting. I don't care what side you're on, Republican, Democrat, wherever. I mean, when they get into office, they very quickly seem to forget the precepts of Scripture. <laughs> Example of this, you know, uh, a, lot of, a lot of prominent people using religion, if you will. Back in uh, 1936, the head of the youth program in Nazi Germany said, if we act as true Germans, we act according to the laws of God. Whoever serves Adolf Hitler serves Germany. Whoever serves Germany serves God. We all know what happened to the Jews <laughs> under Adolf Hitler's reign, right? Crazy. You know, here we see that, you know, laid out in verse 6, I mean, failure to comply was going to result in your own personal barbecue. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar was known. He was known as a man who did not let law-breaking or treason go unpunished. He was known for that. Other, other old ancient scriptures and documents, you know, record things where one point it recorded Nebuchadnezzar is saying that there was a criminal guilty of an offense that he had decapitated decapitated for his offense, regardless of what it was. He had him decapitated and then had a stone image of his head constructed and displayed in the town as a reminder to everybody else. Nebuchadnezzar was not bluffing. He was serious about his warning, about putting people in this furnace. A very Furnaces, these, these things were very common during Babylonian time, very huge, I mean, very large. I mean, could easily walk into these things, uh, preferably when they're not lit. Um, you know, they were used probably you know, maybe to melt the gold that was made for the statue. They were also used, uh, like, for curing bricks. They were like big brick kilns, so they would make the bricks out of mud and stuff and put them in there and then cure them. So, however, you know, <laughs> again, Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, he, it, it was one of his punishments of choice <laughs> to, to put people and have these human barbecues. Look with me at uh, Jeremiah 29. 
verses 21 through 23. Jeremiah 29, 21 through 23. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning Ahab, the sons of Holiah, and Zedekiah, the son of Masaiah, who prophesy and lie to you in my name. Behold, I will deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall slay them before your eyes. And because of them, a curse shall be taken up by all the captive of Judah who are in Babylon, saying, The Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire. This guy liked to have human barbecues. Notice verse 23, Because they have done disgraceful things in Israel, have committed adultery with their neighbor's wives, and have spoken lying words in my name, which I have not commanded them. Indeed, I know, and I am witness, says the Lord. Refusing to comply with the king's requirement was simple. Bow or burn. And we see in verse 7, just like with a lot of culture, you know, a lot of giant crowds get together. Yeah, let's just go ahead and do it. Verse 7, so at that time when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and symphony with all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and languages, they just fell down and worshiped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. When all the people heard the sound, you know, we just sang some awesome worship songs, you know, and Mandy and John up here. I mean, music, music can be made, you know, it has great inherent power, both for good and for evil. There's plenty of music out there, you know, satanic music out there as well. So keep in mind, just be careful what you listen to. The Bible tells us to listen to, you know, be careful what we allow in through any of our sensories, you know, ears, eyes. Uh, music is very, very powerful. They fell down and worshipped the gold image. Immediately they fell down. Everyone was going along with the rest of the culture. Hey, everybody's doing it. Let's just let it, you know, nothing wrong with this. Music is good. Let's just bow down. You know, hey, if we don't, we're going to get barbecued, okay? Let's, let's just do it, you know? But we're going to see, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refuse, regardless of what the requirement was. And the command was from Nebuchadnezzar. They're going to refuse the requirement to bow down and worship. Look at verse 8. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews, speaking of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You know, they're and I'm up, butter him up a little bit. O king, live forever. You know, your kingdom forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Look at verse 12. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due your regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. So these guys are already a little, these guys are already been rubbed the wrong way. So these are the prominent officials of the time. These guys are the uh, officials of the area, these Chaldeans. Remember, at the end of chapter 2, after Daniel Interpreted the dream, you know. Nebuchadnezzar put these guys, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel, they put him in all these prominent positions and took the Chaldeans out of these positions. So here they've been under this rule and authority by these outsiders for some time now. 
And uh, these guys don't like it. And so they're like, hey, here's our chance, guys. Here's our chance. Let's just rat these guys out. We'll get them in trouble, and then we'll get to be back in power again. Man, do you see that? I mean, every day in the news, this guy's doing this, and this person's doing this, and that. Man, pointing fingers. It's, it's not so that they can point out the person's fault or wrong. It's so that they can get back into power. It's so that they can get back onto their line and their motive. Very, very to me, very it's crazy what's going on in our, in our country. Verse 12, notice he says, They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image. Enter the tattletale. You guys ever remember that? Like you're in school, you know? The teacher goes, All right, now I'm going to be right back. I'm going to go out in the hallway for a minute and talk to the principal. Nobody get up. Okay? I'm going to go out in the hallway just for a minute. Nobody get up. Okay. As soon as the teacher shuts the door, what happens? That one kid <laughs> gets up, goes up on the draw something on the chalkboard, you know, and goes and sits back down. Teacher comes back in. All right. Who did it? Who did it? There's the one kid. Mrs. Smith, it was Jonathan. He got up when you told him not to. There's always the one kid, the tattletale, right? That's what these Chaldeans are doing. Look, look, kings are not doing it. They're not doing what you told. And really, you know, all they did was not bow. They didn't dance around and like, hey, we're not bowing, you know. They didn't, they didn't pick it, you know. doesn't say they walked around and pick it and say, we're not bowing, you know. They just simply stood their ground. They simply refrained from sharing in the sin for a season, if you will, of idolatry and worship. Their actions, you know, I mean, they knew their actions were not very public, but they also knew that, you know what, they weren't hidden either. Think about that. Massive crowds of people. Everybody bows down. It's going to be very easy to see people still standing. And I like what Spurgeon says about this. He says, you will not be able to go through life without being discovered. A lighted candle cannot be hid. There is a feeling among some good people that it will be wise to be very reticent and hide their light under a bushel. They intend to lie low at the wartime and come out when the psalms are, when the psalms are being sung and distributed. They hope to travel to heaven by the back of their lanes, by the back lanes, or sulk into glory in disguise. Ah, me, he says, what a degenerate set of people. Wow, I mean, Spurgeon did not sugarcoat stuff. He did not sugarcoat it. At some point in your Christian walk, you will probably be required to take a stand for Christ. And it may not be with, you know, an ultimatum such as with your life, but it's simple little things, simple little areas of compromise. Are you compromising in this area? Are you compromising in that area? Are you compromising when you're alone and no one else is around? That's really integrity. You know, that's what real integrity is. Are you compromising when you're alone? All those little things are tests to build us up, trials to build us up, so that if the time ever does come, 
man, will you, will you be able to stand? If someone were to say, come in here, mass, mad gunman, renounce Christ, or I'm going to kill you, what would you do? It's happening all over the world today. It's not very popular in news outlets and stuff, but it happens everywhere. How would you do? At some point in your Christian walk, maybe later today, you're going to be required to take a stand for Christ. How well will you do? Look at uh, verse 13. Nebuchadnezzar now kind of interviews these guys. He's a little, little upset. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, <laughs> gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king, spoke to them saying, is it true? There it is. Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready, in verse 15, at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Notice what he says. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Wow, do you feel the arrogancy of this guy? Man, I do like, to Nebuchadnezzar's credit, he didn't just accept hearsay, right? He didn't just accept hearsay from the tattletales, the Chaldeans. I'm going to find out for myself. Bring these guys before me right now. Probably even greater, I'd say greater, escalating the test for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? This wasn't like, you know, some, you know, survey they got in the mail. Do you serve God? Yes or no? Well, let me check that. This is standing before the king who has the authority and power. He's already given the ultimatum. Standing before him, eyeball to eyeball. What are you going to do? Is it true? Anyone recall a very similar situation in um, Scripture? Peter, following immediately after Jesus' arrest in uh, Luke 22, verse 54, he says, Having arrested him, Jesus, they led him and brought him into the, priest, in, into the high priest's house, but Peter followed at, at a distance. Peter's already kind of distancing himself from the Lord. Now, when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. A certain servant girl, seeing him, you know, Peter, and sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, this man, this man was with him also. But he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. And after a while, another saw him and said, you also are of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And in verse 59, then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. Notice, immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Man, can you put yourself in Peter's shoes and just think, Man, the Lord turns and looks at him. Oh, man. <laughs> blew it. Peter remembered what the word of the Lord said. 
Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. Again, when you are asked to publicly confess about Jesus Christ, what will you do? What will you say? Now, I'm not talking about, you know, forward this email or you're not a Christian. <laughs> Share this meme or you're not a believer. Okay, I'm not talking about that, okay? Anybody can do that even if you're not a believer, okay? I'm talking about standing before the king face to face with a gun to your head. Renounce Christ or I'm going to kill you. How strong is your walk? How strong is your daily walk? Maybe it's not, again, probably not going to be to that level of extremism in our country. Not yet, anyway. Okay? I'm talking about your daily walk. Hanging out with the guys in the break room. You know, the, guy, the gals next to the coffee pot. In your kitchen, in your home. In your yard, talking with your neighbor. Will you cave or will you stand for Christ? Or you just, oh, it's a funny joke. <laughs> you just kind of laugh right along instead of, man, that disgusts me. Don't say that again. Are you boldly proclaiming to know him? Or are you cowering? Are you caving before men? All of these little scenarios that we have in our lives are to prepare us for things later on. Matthew 10, 32 and 33, Jesus speaking says, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. You know, I think some of the saddest words in Scripture are when, when people get to heaven and they're going to hear, away from me, I never knew you. To me, that is, is so tragic to hear to be the receiver of those words, yet so many people are probably going to hear those words spoken to them. Oh, I'm a Christian. I'm a, I'm a Christian. Really? Then why do you do what you do? I like how, uh, again, Spurgeon, in his crafty words, points this out. He says, if standing before the heart-searching God at this time, you cannot say that it is true, how should you act? If you cannot say that you take Christ's cross and are willing to follow him regarding all the hazards, then hearken to me and learn the truth. Please, do not make a profession at all. Do not talk about baptism. Do not talk about the Lord's Supper. Do not talk of joining a church. Do not talk about being a Christian. For if you do, you will lie against your soul. If it not be true that you renounce the world's idols, do not profess it as though you do. It is unnecessary that a man should profess to be what he is not. It is a sin of supererogation. If you cannot be true to Christ, if your coward heart is recreant toward the Lord, do not profess to be his disciple. I beseech you, he that is married to the world or is flint-hearted had better return to his house, for he is of no service in this war. Let me put that in American. If you can't run with the big dog, stay on the porch, okay? Quit playing being a Christian. And there's a lot of people, especially in our communities, that are doing that. They're playing, oh, I'm a Christian, yeah. Do you go to church? No, I hate them people. 
Those people, man, a bunch of hypocrites. You better believe we are. <laughs> but that's no excuse to not go to a church and be a part of a fellowship. No excuse. Because if your hope is in the people, you're in trouble. If your hope is in me or Pastor Tim or anybody here, you are in trouble. All we can do is point them to Jesus Christ. All we should be doing is pointing people to Jesus Christ. Quit playing being a Christian just because it's popular or acceptable. Because what's going to happen when it becomes unpopular and unacceptable? I'm a Christian. Yeah, man, I was born, I went to church. Man, I remember being in the pew. Okay, here's a one-way ticket to Iran. I want you to go over there and run around saying that you're a Christian. Okay? See ya. They'll kill you before you probably even get off the plane. Are you going to be willing to take a stand for Christ when it could cost you your life? How serious are you about following the Lord? How serious are you? Look what he says in verse 15. But if you do not worship, if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately. You know, Nebuchadnezzar did not, he's not going to tolerate losing face here you know, his pride is, is on level 12 right now. I mean, he's in front of all, I mean, you imagine the enormous pressure right now on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and also the king, you know, to compromise at this moment in front of everybody, the big symphony, the band that was going on, all the people from, that were told to come out to this thing. Yet, it didn't matter to them. God was more real to them they had a greater fear of the Lord than any of those other things. And a lot of times, that's what hinders us. Fear is a liar, folks. Fear will hinder you. Fear of man, especially, will hinder you. Why do we fear what man can do to us when God holds in his hand the power to save or not? Nebuchadnezzar thought nothing of insulting all the gods. I mean, <laughs> at the end of verse 15, and who is the God, little G, who will deliver you from my hand? <laughs> who is this God, you know? Do you see the contrast from about 20 years ago at the end of chapter 2? Man, the God of Daniel, he's the one, man, he's it. Who's this God that can take you out of my hands? And these three Hebrew men insist that they will never, never bow down and worship. Look at their blatant refusal. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, verse 16, answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver you, deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Boom. Mic drop. Take that. Walking out of here. You stole fizzy lifting drink. You lose. Good day, sir. No soup for you. Two years. They have, he says, we have no need to answer you. We already know our decision. We don't have to go think about this. We don't have to even give it a second thought. Our God, whom we serve, 
is able to deliver us. They knew without a shadow of a doubt that God could handle the situation that they're in. Do you believe God can handle the situation you're in right now? Man, he can. He can. He is so, He knows. They're not concerned about the refusal. They're not concerned about the fiery furnace. They're not concerned about Nebuchadnezzar holding him in his hand. Now, I think verse 18 is very interesting. He says, but if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. It, it shows that these guys had a good understanding and appreciation of the submission to God. Not my will, yours be done. Can we say that this morning? Lord, not my will, but yours be done. We don't see them complain here. Gripe. Oh, this isn't fair. This isn't fair. My rights. Sometimes it's better to just make a silent stance than and endure the difficulty and, and, and leave our fate in God's hand. Leave it in God's hands. Take a stand for Christ. Did you notice that you know, they did not doubt God's ability. But it's also, you know, they didn't really know God's will. They didn't understand what, hey, they didn't know what the outcome was. They just knew God was going to do something awesome. And they trusted that he knew what was best. Agreeing with what uh, Job wrote in uh, Job thirteen fifteen, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. They recognized that God's plan might just be a little different from theirs. Pretty sure they didn't get up that morning before Harold got out there and started yelling at the top of his lungs, okay? They probably didn't think that, you know what? It's a good chance I might get barbecued today. Probably was not part of their daily plan. Get up, do daily devotions, have coffee. Oh, human barbecue at three. Probably not going to happen, okay? It probably wasn't their plan. And we also may very well have our own desires and dreams. And, and we pray, you know, pray that God fulfills them, you know. But if he doesn't, that doesn't give us a right to turn our back on him. Maybe his plan is better than yours. Early Christians, you know, were not thrown into the lion's den and killed because they loved and worshipped the Lord. It was because they refused to worship any other God. They refused to worship any other God. And again, in our day and age, I mean, many people profess to know the Lord. Many people profess to love Jesus, and they think very highly of him. Yet they're a lot like Nebuchadnezzar. They're very far from him because they're so in love with the world and in sin and in self. Many people love the Lord. Many people love Jesus. And they, they think it's great, you know, to be a Christian. And they think it's, maybe that's okay for you. Maybe they just don't even agree with being a Christian, but they think that's great for you. How many times have you heard somebody say that to you, you know? Well, that's okay for you if you believe that, but I don't need to believe that. 
1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. These guys did not love the world. They did not care about material things or even their own very lives. They stood before the king challenged, and they didn't care if it cost them their lives. Verse 18, again, notice he says that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set. I mean, it took great faith for them to say that. And again, God brought them to this place probably by preparing them in, in less dramatic areas, you know. They had probably a lot of chances to, you know, build this up. And, and many people say that, you know, many oh, man, I, I could easily do that, man. Many, many fail in their obedience because they're waiting for some big event to happen in their lives to where they can really start to obey God. Then, man, when I get, when, when I get down in that bottom of that, then, then I'll really start trusting God. And I really have that big, man, this big thing comes up, and then, then I'll really believe God. Really? No, you won't. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I mean, show us that obedience to God, even in the very small things, matters. Daily obedience to him and what he's sharing with you as you read scripture and he's revealing things to you and you have that time of devotion with him and he says, you know what, this area of your life, I want to do a work in it. Chip away at this, chip away at that. Nah, I'm waiting on the one big one, Lord. I'm waiting on the, you know, the, the guy to come over here with a machete and say he's going to kill me. Then, then, then I'll be able to, then, then I'll be able to take a stand and I'll really start trusting you then, Lord. No, you won't. He's preparing you. He's preparing you ahead of time, just like he probably prepared these men to, uh, to do this. You know, and they didn't, they didn't make any kind of excuse. They didn't make excuses. Man, we love excuses. <laughs> They just flat out said, let it be known to you. I mean, they could have said, come on, guys. This isn't a big deal, really. I mean, let's just, let's just bow down and get it over with. You know what? <laughs> Here's what we'll do, okay? So when they say that and the music starts playing, all we'll do is just bow down and we'll pretend to be tying our shoes. And then, you know, we're good. Because really, if we die right now, man, we won't be able to do so much more for the Lord later on. Hmm, is that really what the Lord's plan is? They might have said, well, hey, you know what? We're in Rome. We're in a different place. You know, what do you do when in Rome? Do as the Romans. Hey, everybody else is doing it. Counterculture, right? <laughs> hey, everybody else is doing it. Everybody else isn't really serious about their faith in Christ. Everybody else really isn't serious about their walk with the Lord. Why should I be serious with my, with, with my walk with the Lord? Hey, guys, you know what? If we do this, we're going to lose our jobs. <laughs> Man, them Chaldeans are going to be back in charge again. We can't let that happen. I mean, really, we're not renouncing God, right? They didn't ask us to renounce God. They just kind of asked us to bow down and, and just, you know, be on the ground before this idol thing, you know? But we really don't have to be doing that, you know, in our hearts. In our hearts, it'll be different, but outwardly, we'll be bowing down, and people won't know. Is that really taking a stand? I was uh, 
listened to a, another message this week, and this, guy, this pastor shared this great story. And I'm sure if you're a parent, you've probably had something very similar like this happen. So the, this father was attempting to leave his driveway. He had his four, three, three or four-year-old in the back seat, you know, and standing up in her car seat, refusing to put her car seat on, right? Just like Nebuchadnezzar, the dad's countenance changed. You don't put that car seat on right now. We're in trouble. So the little girl is fine. Sits down, puts her car seat on. Dad starts to back out of the driveway. Daddy? Yeah, honey, what is it? I'm still standing in my heart. Oh, man. Do you see that? I mean, if our actions don't, they, 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 our actions can, can fool us, right? Actions can fool people, you know? The whole everybody else is doing it, you know? Let's just bow down, get it over with. After all, you know, we can serve, you know, it's just a one-time deal, you know? Let's just move on. We really don't mean it in our hearts. And unfortunately, a lot of people are like that with their walk with the Lord. They say it outwardly. They express it. Yeah, I'm a Christian. You go to church? No, I hate them people. Really, you're a Christian? Yeah. Why don't you go to church? I don't like them. These people are mean. They make me do stuff. Again, a lot of common excuses we hear, you know, in it comes back to a matter of the heart. And really, if you look at all these, these excuses that they could have easily used, you know, their heart was already prepared and their heart was not already bent on compromise. Faithful in the little things, faithful in much, okay? Little things. How well are we doing in the little things? Finally, let's look at the rescue, verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. And the expression on his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke the command that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. So they're heating this thing up, getting them ready to go. He's full of fury. No matter how brave they were, it didn't matter. They were going to face the fury of the king. After hearing this bold challenge, he was so mad. Didn't matter. They, these men stayed courageous. They, whoa, wait, wait, we're just kidding, just kidding. We'll bow down now. Didn't matter. He says they bound, look at the 20, they bound him in their coats. They got the furnace seven times hotter, exceedingly hot. You know what? Nebuchadnezzar was not taking a chance at this. He's like, these guys are going down immediately. Notice what happens. These guys that are bound and they're in the fire. Look at verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished as he rose in haste. These guys threw, threw him in there. You know, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered him and said, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire. This thing was so hot that even the guys that bound him and threw him in there got killed. Yet King Nebuchadnezzar, he's astonished of what happened. 
The Septuagint says that about Daniel 3.24, that Nebuchadnezzar's attention was caught when he heard the men singing praises, the, thing, the sound of praises coming out of the furnace. I mean, can you imagine that? The king makes the decree. These guys go over there, throw them into the furnace. I mean, his, his best men were picked to do this and bind them and throw them in there, and his best men died. Man. He walks away thinking, not even thinking twice about it. Those guys are done. <laughs> They're gone. He hears in his ears sound of psalm and praise coming from the fire. You know, it kind of reminds me as I was looking at this, you know, of Paul and Silas, you know, in Acts, Acts 16, 25, you know, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God when they were in prison. And notice the prisoners were listening to them. How impactful can, our, can we be, you know, when we have these fiery trials going on in our lives to continue to sing praise and glorify God? Because it's so easy to come up with excuses. It's so easy to just fl flow right along with everybody. Oh, I'm just going to complain and just, man, praise him in the midst of the trial. And Nebuchadnezzar, man, he's looking like this. He's like, what is going on? These three guys are in there dancing, and there's another guy in there with them. He's like, man, what is happening here? I mean, we don't, we're not told here if, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we're not told if they recognize that, you know, there's another in there with them. And, you know, it, it's kind of like that for us, too, if you think about that. Sometimes we're in the midst of a trial. Sometimes, man, you can just feel the Lord with you. Man, it's awesome. Other times you're like, Lord, where are you? He's still there with you. He's still there with you in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the fire. Doesn't, I mean, don't ever think for a minute that he's not with you. God can deliver us from this trial. He can miraculously sustain you through it, or he can strengthen you through the trial. And notice that what Nebuchadnezzar says. He goes, I see four men, underline this, loose. I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire. Man, Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, he, he observed that these guys were loose. They were free walking in the midst of a fire. And I think it's interesting to note and point out here that the fire only burnt the ropes that bound them. Didn't burn them up. Didn't burn their clothes up. It, it, when it, go, it goes on to say that it didn't even singe a hair on their head. Do you believe that's what can happen in your life, in fiery trials? A lot of times we complain and we kind of kick against what the Lord is doing in our lives, but have you ever thought for a minute, to put it into perspective here, maybe that fiery trial is to burn the, the shackles off of you, release you from something that is hindering you, to burn sin out of your life, something that's binding you, something that's hindering you from being able to share and be effective for God. Something that's maybe truly keeping you from being free. Here these men were freed by the fire, not harmed by it. Notice verse 26, Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, Come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire, 
and the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected. And the smell of fire wasn't even on them. You ever been there? You ever been to a campfire, you know, and you sit there roasting some marshmallows, and man, smell like a fire pit. The smell of fire wasn't even on them. And did you notice this? I love this too, what Nebuchadnezzar says. Before they are, you know, so these guys are still in the fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar has already changed some of his countenance toward them. He says, servants of the most high God. He's kind of back to where he was at the end of chapter 2. Hey, servants of the most high God. These guys must serve the true God, the one and true, the God most high. And again, all too often when we're in the midst of a trial, we think that God has to get us through the trial or complete some kind of work in us in order, to, in order for him to use us. Yet, yet here we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were being used while they're still in the fire. They're still being, they're being used by God in how Nebuchadnezzar sees them in the midst of the fire. It wasn't when they took a stand. It wasn't when they renounced and refused to bow. It was when they were in the midst of the trial and they were singing and praising to God. And Nebuchadnezzar goes, whoa, servants of the most high God. Don't forget that when you're in the midst of a trial, other people are watching how you're going to react. Other people are looking, oh, look, here's a Christian. Let's see what he does, right? How well are we doing with that? Are we blowing it? Sometimes we blow it, you know, no doubt. <laughs> Sometimes we blow it royally. But here we see that these guys didn't. These guys didn't blow it. And they ministered to Nebuchadnezzar in the midst of the fire, before they're even out of it, he's already realized, hey, these guys serve the most high God. They have no, the fire has no power on them. And it's really cool to see that, you know, the Lord, I believe this is like a Christophany, uh, an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament in there with them, you know. I mean, probably reminds of John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you might have, oh, that says will. It says will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Jesus hadn't even spoken those words yet, yet they believed it. They believed that the Lord God could take them through that no matter what. The smell of fire was not even on them. Again, God is a God of even the most minute details. Why did he even write that? I think it's very important that he wrote that because he is. It demonstrates how complete his deliverance is in our lives. So, I mean, he, even the little things, he thinks not even a hair on their head was singed. They didn't even smell like fire. I mean, again, uh, sad to say, a lot of 
Christians are living their lives out this way, walking very dangerously on the edge, you know, just planning, planning to like, you know, slide into heaven and wiping the fire off their shirt tails as they get there. Woo-hoo! Made it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I, re- I don't really think that's how God intended us to walk out our lives. I'm just saying. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar acknowledged the greatness of their God. Look at verse 28. We'll wrap it up here. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Interesting that Nebuchadnezzar, you know, here gives glory to God, but, you know, he still recognizes that this great god is not his God. Did you notice that? He says their God. He still hasn't come to the point where he recognizes who God is for him personally. And again, a lot of people are on that pla- at that place. You know, they recognize who God is, especially again, down here in the Bible Belt, you know, being raised in church. A lot of people know about God. They know the stories of God, but he's not their personal God. He's not a, he's not a God that's personal to them. And it's very sad because Man, he, he came so that we could have that personal relationship with him. It's our job to tell him that we get to do that. Here, Nebuchadnezzar, not there yet. Nebuchadnezzar even asked, you remember what he said? He says, who is the God who's going to deliver you from my hands? I think he came face to face with this God. <laughs> who is he? He's the God of the Hebrews. He's the God who sends the Savior. He's the God with great power. He's the God worthy of their trust, worthy of full surrender. I mean, these guys didn't care. They yielded their bodies. Full surrender. He's the God who requires exclusive allegiance. Is that who he is to you today? Can you say that of God today? You see, Nebuchadnezzar knew a lot about God, but sadly, he didn't know him personally. And again, a lot of people, maybe, maybe that's you today. Maybe you know a lot about God. Maybe you know a lot about him or of him or of stories of him. Quit playing church. Quit playing being a Christian. Fully yield yourself to him. Yield yourself to him fully. Here they yielded their bodies, everything. You know, kind of the same submission that Paul wrote of in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I mean, this, this whole account we see here in Daniel is really a lot of the same thing, the principle of, that we see here in, in Romans 12. You know, I mean... Satan trying to make the believer bow down, you know, to some other idol or image or whatever it may be. Christians must resist this with everything they have. I mean, they must, we must pursue him instead of all these other things. And it's so easy, guys. It's so easy to set up those little idols in our lives. And, oh, but my job. Oh, but my, my income. Oh, but, but this or that or And we have all these little idols that can get in the way of really serving the Lord. Be careful. Be careful. 
Romans 12, 2 says, again, do not be conformed to this world. Tim's entitled this series about being countercultured, right? <laughs> you know, being countercultured, going against what the culture says we should do, even as believers, even as Christians. I got an idea. How about we look into God's word and see what he tells us to do? See what he tells us, how we should be. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Nebuchadnezzar, you know, makes this proclamation that, you know, nothing evil should be said. <laughs> Ironically, nothing evil should be said against the God of the Hebrews. Verse 29, Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks against uh, anything amidst amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Again, not his God, but if you say something about their God, I'm going to cut you into pieces. And your houses shall be made an ash heap because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Such true words from someone who is not even a believer. It's amazing, such true words. And Keep in mind the audience here. All the people in the area were invited to this dedication. All the people are standing there watching all this unfold. I believe everybody probably thought Nebuchadnezzar was pretty serious at this point. He had already thrown these guys in the fire, killed some of his best men doing so, and then he makes this decree that I'm going to cut you into pieces and burn your house down if you don't you know, if you say anything bad about against these guys. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they, didn't, they didn't ask the king to, to make this decree. But I imagine it was a very extremely effective testimony <laughs> to other people that were there watching this. Paul expressed a lot of the same ideas in uh, 2 Corinthians 3. We've been, we've been in Second Corinthians here for a little bit in our home fellowship discussing these things. It's really cool that how we are living epistles is what Paul's talking about in Second Corinthians 3, in verses 1 to 3. He says, do we begin again to commend ourselves, or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? See, back during this time, in, in Paul's time, you know, for somebody to get up, you know, and stand, you know, I don't have to bring, like, my letter of divinity or something like that. They, you know, they didn't have degrees and stuff like that or, you know, this guy, oh, you got to listen to him. They sent out these letters of recommendation about whether or not to listen. And some people had them, but what was circulating was these false, false letters where, you know, well, I just want people to hear what I got to say. I'll just make one up, you know. He says, you, in verse 2, you are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, not in rhythm with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. Do you know that this morning, believer? Do you know that? You are a living epistle of Christ. As you go out of these doors, you're entering the mission field. As you go home, you're entering the mission field. When you go to your workplace, you're entering the mission field. And people are watching. Unbelievers and believers alike are watching 
How well are you doing at being that, that living epistle written on your heart? Is it just all pomp and circumstance? Is it just lip service to the Lord? Daddy, in my heart, I'm still standing. How well are you obeying the Lord today? Take a stand in the midst of the trial. I mean, regardless of what people tell you to do, what is right, what is wrong, how much more important is us as believers to do what's right in the sight of the Lord? Refuse to worship anything but the one true and living God. And if he's brought things to mind to you today or later this week that is hindering that, jump in the fire and allow him to burn, the, burn, the, burn it off. I mean, let it, let, him burn, let, let it take place. It's just hindering you from worshiping him and following him, following him knowing that he's going to rescue you. God will provide a way. He will sustain you through the trial. Whether you recognize him or not, he's there with you in the midst of the fire. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word today. Father, I thank you, Lord, that um, it's all about you. It's all about serving you. It's all about, Lord, living, being living epistles for you, Father God, so, so that others around us, just like Nebuchadnezzar, Lord, when other people see us, Lord, that you know, I mean, it, was, it would have been so easy for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to take credit. But Lord, it was all about you, Father God. It was all about pointing them to who you are. Lord, I pray that we are encouraged today, Lord, knowing that you're with us in the midst of the fiery trials. Lord, you're, you're there with us, Father God. And I pray that others around us can see that, Lord. I pray that others in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, Lord, can see Christ in us, that we can be those living epistles. Father, help us to be submissive to your word and submissive to the Holy Spirit, Lord, speaking to us. When you reveal to us, Lord, the things that are binding us, the things that are hindering us, the things that are holding us down, Lord, Help us to walk willingly into the fire, Lord, to burn those things off, Lord, that we may be truly free to serve you. What a privilege it is, Father God, that we get to call you, Lord, and to serve you each and every day of our life. Lord, I pray for a fresh outpouring of your spirit on each and every person here today and those that are listening now, Lord, that you would encourage us, you would strengthen us, Father God, as we go out into the mission field. We love you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, and we'll close with one more song. Precious blood has left me forgiven.
hearts this morning. God, we pray you would go with us and before us this week, God, in our workplaces and just our day-to-day living, that you would help us to just live boldly for you, Lord, and to stay standing. We just pray, God, that you would um, give us the strength to do that through your Holy Spirit. We love you, Lord. We thank you and we praise you, the one true and living God. Amen. Thank you.